Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is An Anonymous Girl by authors Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. Um, it is of note that uh, the publisher, St. Martin's Press, reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to uh, review this, and we agreed. And I'm going to just take a little aside before I get into bios to say... That we specifically, when we replied, said, hey, send us two copies if you're sending paper books. That way, like, we can read it at the same time. And they did. They were, you know, I, I was, I always kind of cringe when I'm like, oh, send us two. And they're like, you know, I, I assume they're like, we're going to send one, you know. Um, but they had no problem sending two. And then, uh, and this was, what, probably a good month and a half before, like a month and a half ago, Olivia, something at like that. At least, yeah. yeah. A couple months, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, as the as the date approaches that we're going to uh, review this, I get a package in the mail, as I often do. And it's another, <laughs> it's a third copy of this book. But it's the completed, the final edition hardcover um, that is that is publishing uh, today, if you're listening to this, uh, as, as, as the episode releases. So, um, not only did St. Martin send us review copies they sent us one more than we have reviewers which is kind of interesting i uh i wonder often about like the delivery drivers <laughs> that deliver to you because you know those guys like running each other like at the hot dog place across the street from right. you you know or whatever you know one of them's got to be like what's with that fucking dork at you know redacted address <laughs> it's just like goddamn books showing up at his house every day how much can that fucking guy read Yep. What they don't understand is that you are creating a wall of arcs. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, I know we've kind of maybe mentioned this on the podcast before, but Rob's place has this like half divider wall where it's only how, how tall is it, Rob? Three, three and a half feet. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Rob is in the process of finishing that wall with books right now so that yep. there are stacks and stacks of books that go almost all the way to the ceiling, which yep. will create like a full wall divider um, in his place so um keep on sending those books guys rob's uh he's almost there yeah the wall i'm building a wall <laughs> um not a not a controversial topic uh I, the not wall at all the, it took a it, it took a hit recently because over the christmas uh holiday i gathered up a handful of children's books that have been sent to me over the years and um, brought them to adam and oshkosh whose legs don't work to see if his kids wanted to read any of them. So that was about four or five books. So oh, I got you. I thought he had one of those little divider walls too. He <laughs> for kids. He's built <laughs> it's in his kids' room. So obviously the kids' books. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's all get right. let's get into this. You want to tell us about the co authors of this book? Yeah, here are the biographies for the two authors. Greer Hendricks is the co author of the New York Times bestseller, The Wife Between Us. Prior to becoming a novelist, she spent two decades as an editor at Simon & Schuster. She obtained her master's degree in journalism from Columbia University, and her writing has appeared in The New York Times, Allure, and Publishers Weekly. She lives in Manhattan with her husband and two children. Now, Sarah Pekkanen, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, forgive me if I did not, is the internationally and USA Today bestselling author of eight previous solo novels and the co-author of the New York Times bestseller The Wife Between Us. If you haven't figured it out yet, that means that they co-authored The Wife Between Us. A former investigative journalist and award-winning feature writer, she has published work in The Washington Post, USA Today, and many others. She is the mother of three sons and lives just outside Washington, D.C. I keep thinking those are really kind of impressive impressive pedigrees for both of them. 
And then I realized that they probably made more money off these last two books than they did in their fairly, as a editor like, or investigative yeah. journalist. Well, yeah, I mean, in, yeah. in a degree in journalism from Columbia University, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of stuff here. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that the fiction writing is uh, is what's really paying off for for these two ladies. So, well, if you if 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 the uh, um, promotional materials that come with these advanced reader copies is any indication, like apparently these two books are are sensations. I am fairly certain that both of them have been optioned for film already. So, there you go. All right, here we go. Here is the synopsis for An Anonymous Girl. The next novel of psychological suspense and obsession from the authors of the blockbuster bestseller The Wife Between Us. Seeking women ages 18 to 32 to participate in a study on ethics and morality, generous compensation, anonymity guaranteed. When Jessica Ferris signs up for a psychology study conducted by the mysterious Dr. Shields, she thinks all she'll have to do is answer a few questions, collect her money, and leave. Question number one, could you tell a lie without feeling guilt? But as the questions grow more and more intense and invasive and the sessions become outings where Jess is told what to wear and how to act, she begins to feel as though Dr. Shields may know what she's thinking and what she's hiding. Question number two, have you ever deeply hurt someone you care about? As Jess's paranoia grows, it becomes clear that she can no longer trust what in her life is real and what is one of Dr. Shields' manipulative experiments. Caught in a web of deceit and jealousy, Jess quickly learns that some obsessions can be deadly. Question number three, should a punishment always fit the crime? Pretty good synopsis. Glad that you brought up the quality of the synopsis because there's a couple of things that I, I, I might take issue with. And I don't know if this is jumping ahead before we start to explain the story. But there's a few things that I feel are at the very least a little misleading. So first of all, um, the seeking women ages 18 to 32 to participate in a study on ethics and morality uh, Im <laughs> implies that like the way that uh, the protagonist found the study was normal. So I have a little bit of an issue with that. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I had another problem too, but I can't remember what it is. So I, I, I guess in general, I'd say that while it's a nicely structured synopsis overall, I feel like once you read the book, um, it, it strays a little from what the, what the story actually is. And it's probably a little bit intentionally misleading. Yeah, which brings me to the first point I wanted to make. We're probably going to have to go in a little farther than I'd like, um, you know, versus the synopsis to to really talk about this book. Little mid spoiler territory. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if you really, really, really want something <laughs> that's a hundred percent, look, this is the worst part of this. This was like when I complained that my favorite podcasts only do episodes once a week. Remember that? Yeah, that they should be more often. This is kind of the same thing. Like, if I wanted to read this book, I, I as a podcaster, want to talk about it in a way that I, as a podcast listener, <laughs> want to listen if I want to read the book. <laughs> I feel like a lot of my problems are somehow easily correctable. I just refuse to put in the effort. So um, we're going to go a little deeper than the synopsis on this one. I guess is all all I, all I want to say about that. All right, so. Uh... The, let's just dive into story and then we'll just kind of feel out, you know, we'll bird box out like how far we want to go on this one. Um, that's going to be a verb now where we have to kind of blindly feel anyway. I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the book starts out with our protagonist whose name is Jessica 
Ferris. We learn her. We we discover her as as Jess, uh, who is. And I didn't. We might have to talk about this first of all because I didn't know that this was a profession at all. But she is a makeup artist who basically works for a service. She lives in New York City. And her service sends her to people's houses to do their makeup. Did you fucking even have any concept <laughs> that that could be no. a job? No, but you know what? When I read it, I wasn't surprised because I feel like like Uber has opened up doors <laughs> that we never really thought about. <laughs> Where there's like oh, an app and yeah. you can do a job that you're qualified to do. <laughs> You know, yeah. where, where a company like yeah. puts you in contact with people and, and her company, um, it's a little different. They have their own branded makeup and stuff. So, I mean, this this was a little better vetted than being like a Lyft driver. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. And when you think about it, um, I, I don't know if you've ever watched like a makeup tutorial on like YouTube. Zero time. Actually, it's right. funny. I, I I never have. But a coworker of mine does a pretty successful YouTube channel where she reviews makeup and I'm subscribed to it out of support, but I've never watched a video. I think I went down a rabbit hole one night and I watched a couple of them. And the first thing, the first thing that comes to mind is that if you encounter um, a woman in public, it's rather deceptive if they've had quality makeup put on. Cause I mean, these look like, like two different people. Yeah. And you know what, you know what though? We have, we have a friend. I'm not going to say her name on the podcast, but I believe both of us are friends with her on Instagram that does some pretty terrific makeup stuff. And there are times where you can just see what the difference between quality oh, makeup. Oh, sure, sure. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. But that's exactly it, right? So when you have someone that really knows what they're doing and isn't just, you know, rubbing some lipstick on their lips. <laughs> yeah. And saying, oh, I put on my makeup. Like, like there is a significant difference. So I can imagine for someone who's not very good at that or who has a big event coming up that a service like that for 50 bucks or whatever for someone to come over and do your makeup, you know, is, is uh, you know, it's probably OK. I guess especially considering the the artist that's coming to your house is providing the makeup like you don't they don't show up and be like, all right, what? What type of mascara do you have? They have it all. Oh, that's a good with point them, too. If so. you're going, yeah, if you're going for a certain look, you might just spend thirty bucks, forty bucks, eighty bucks, or whatever, just on the makeup that you have to buy to get there. Yeah, as hmm. as opposed to a one off, they show up, they slap the makeup on you. Like I don't need to buy like a fucking scattered bathroom piled with cosmetics. If okay, mm-hmm. okay, so this is starting to make more sense now that we talk through it. A little bit. But as I read this, I was like, the fuck kind of world are we? But, you know, New York, whatever. <laughs> Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe. any rate, Jessica does this for a living, if you have not <laughs> gathered that um, from here. Um, and, you know, and, and she's struggling a little bit. We find out through the course of the story that she has some obligations, um, some things she pays for that, that, you know, take her outside of her financial comfort zone. Um, and as she's uh, doing makeup for a couple of, of kind of young, snotty college girls, um, she discovers that there's a study that pays a significant amount of money that the two of them were planning on going to the next day. So um, she basically steals the information and then presents herself there as one of the girls that was supposed to go to the study. Um, and that's really where, where this kicks off. This is her introduction to these questions and this doctor that's mentioned in the synopsis. 
Yeah, and so that's where I first take, took issue with the synopsis because the synopsis implies that like she was you know solicited to be in this study and and, she, and right off the bat she kind of cheats her way into the study um, for some quick money and and so she uh, <clears throat> she shows up at the place and they're like oh you're not who we're looking for and she's like oh they said they couldn't make it so I'm coming instead and they're did a little back and forth, like, ooh, should we take her? And then they decided to take her. She goes up into this room, sits at a laptop, and questions appear on the screen that she then answers. There's a there's a non-disclosure agreement that's assigned and um, kind of a honesty agreement uh, where when you're answering these questions, you have to be 100% honest and forthcoming and all that kind of stuff. And then, boom, these questions just start showing up. And it's it's a... I think it's presented as a survey or a study on um, ethics and morality right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, naturally the questions that Livius read in the synopsis are questions that are presented in the initial uh, session. Um, Could you tell a lie without feeling guilt? Have you ever deeply hurt someone you care about? Stuff like that. And she's answering them. But the interesting thing is like, it's more interactive than she was expecting. And this is where, um, it starts to become interesting because when she answers a question at kind of surface level, the computer responds and asks her to dig deeper and be honest and not just kind of um, like phone in the answers, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, she winds up getting more questions at the end. She's asked to come back. Then moving a little quicker through the story, she eventually um, meets Dr. Shields, who wants to expand her participation in the study be further compensated to do some like real life observations on her where she's tasked with things to do and has to report back. Yeah. And it's all hush hush. Like she doesn't really know what's going on. Jess, the protagonist doesn't really know what's going on. She's just told that like, um, you know, she knows that this is a study on ethics and morality. And sometimes there's a little bit of, of, um, context given to her when she's asked to do something. But like, for example, um, you know, she's sent on an errand to just pick up something and bring it to the doctor or later on sent to, um, do makeup for two different women. And the context that she's given in that case is, um, since they they set it up as like these women won a free makeup session, they want to see if because the session was free, will she will they tip better than someone who paid for the session that kind of stuff. So she's sent out on these seemingly innocuous little trips to to study the behaviors of people, but then like the stakes start to rise, where she's like asked to flirt with someone and and stuff like that, and so it gets a little bit more kind of questionable, a little risque as things goes on. The way that some of uh, the plot is revealed to us, I guess we could have mentioned this at the start. This is told in alternating chapters. Mm -hmm. Um, One chapter being Jessica, the next chapter being Dr. Lydia Shields, the psychiatrist. So we keep getting interjections early on. They're uh, very observatory, like right after she leaves the study. Um, we have a chapter from Dr. Shields that talks about her behavior in the study. Um, you know, things like how confident she was when she walked in or how long she took to answer questions. But it's clearly the the observations of Jessica that we're seeing. And then as the story unfolds, we continue to see 
uh, mostly as Jessica is wandering around in the dark, um, trying to figure out what some of these things, uh, what the purpose of some of these tasks that she has to do are. We're getting Dr. Shields on the other end, slowly revealing to us the purpose of Jessica's um, tasks, so to speak. The interesting thing about the alternating chapters is when we get to um, the Dr. Shields chapters, uh, it's it's kind of a bizarre second person slash um, like conversational tone. So she'll be like, you answered this honestly, and I feel very proud of you or something like that. So it's like it's not second person, but it's got that like you did this. This is how I feel. You did that. This is how I feel. Kind of. I don't even know how to describe. I mean, like, it felt mm-hmm. second person until there was this, yep. like, um, it was almost like a back and forth conversation with nobody. Um, this is correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a very unique um, approach to doing the the Doctor Shields, uh, or like kind of reflections on what just happened thing, um, but not in a way that was weird. Like it it, it fit fine. The narrative flowed. It never took away from the pace or, or like, you know, the, the telling of the story, but it was a very unique approach to like the other side of, of the, the interactions. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and it's one of the things I really enjoyed about this book. Now, do you think that by and large, those perspectives were written by the individual authors? So for example, Greer would write Jessica's parts and Sarah would write Dr. Shield's part or vice versa. God damn it. That never even occurred to me once. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say so because I feel like the overall narrative had a consistency to it. Okay. If that makes any sense. Sure. I, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine that. Like it wasn't like there was such a distinct personality of one versus the other. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I don't know. That's the whole, like, so I, I don't, hmm. So one of the things that we we've never done on this podcast is really talk to people who co-authored like to both people who co-authored a book. So we had Rob Hart on. We talked about James Patterson, right? And the co-authoring process right. for, for book shots. But I don't know that we've ever had like a good conversation. Like, what's that process? And I know that we don't typically like, what's your writing process, right? Like, but it would be interesting to find out. And different people obviously would do it different ways, but it would be interesting to see how that works with uh, with two people working on the same story. Yeah, I think the closest we've gotten is talking to someone about um, like when we talked to Brian Evanson about um, adapting Lords of Salem because it was mm-hmm. somebody yep. else wrote something that he adapted. But right. yeah, I, I don't think we've ever had a co-authoring such. That would be interesting mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah, for sure. Before we move on, I want to tell you how. Um, how I don't say tough, how weird it was to read this book over the course of the last week. Um, while reading this book, I also watched um, a series, a, a YouTube original series from, are you familiar with Vsauce at all? Not even a little bit. So Vsauce is a, he has a very large following on YouTube for um, science based. Maybe I guess they have three different channels. Um, one of the ones I watch a lot, talks about like weird like like paradoxes and weird like math situations and stuff and i would say a lot i've watched a few of their videos um this one's an actual youtube original which there's um obvious production money behind but a lot of it is investigating things um a variety of things but they do studies that reminded me of studies 
in this story. So it's like while I was reading this about studies, I'd put this down after reading, you know, five, six, ten chapters or whatever. And then I would go and watch something that had <laughs> and I'll give you an example. This is really weird. And I'm probably about like a third of the way into the book. They mention a study called the Ash Conformity Study. Mm. Do you remember this one from the book? Uh, the students yes. are shown a card with vertical line on it. And then on another card, they're asked to match up the size. Um, they actually did this in the show I was watching. It was like the day before I read this part. Wow, that's really weird. Yeah, yeah. And on the flip side of that, as I was into the latter half of this book, I started watching the new Netflix original, You, Y-O-U, in which there is a character who addresses the protagonist in the exact same way that Dr. Greer does the whole time. It's fucked up, dude. <laughs> where, where he says, you know, yeah, you, you know, you came home this, you know, the other day. Like I, so it was like really yeah. weird. Cause at one point I'm watching you and I, I injected something from this book. I don't remember what I was. And I was like, Oh, never mind. That's, <laughs> that's dumb. That's from the book I'm reading. That's not part. Like, I'm like, why is this happening? And I'm like, wait a minute. That's from a completely different <laughs> medium that's story thing. So, yeah, it was a kind of surreal week in, in making, like, correlations between the different <laughs> types of media I was taking in, YouTube, Netflix, and this book. So, at any rate, sorry about all that. At any rate. That, that's – do you – all right, so um, did you ever see that gorilla suit study thing? Yes, yes. That's did all you, yeah, this book, too. Because that was mentioned in the book, too. Mm -hmm. I, since we're here, we might as well. So there's yep. that – like, the whole idea is – and it's explained in the book is, like – you're told like you're prepared um, by saying like you have to count the number of times a basketball is passed or bounced or whatever in a video that's being presented. Um, and then, and it's a, it's a, what is it called? Like a preference bias or something like that. Like a, a something, like, something yeah, bias. I, yep. Anyway, um, the reality is like, <laughs> and I'm ruining this for anybody who hasn't seen this. Um, there's a, like what you're, uh, what you don't, what you're supposed to not notice is like a dude in a gorilla suit walking in between all of these like people bouncing a basketball or passing a basketball or whatever it happens to be. And um, it's a fucking interesting study. And if you don't know about it and you watch that video, you don't see the gorilla. And I did not. I, um, I did. And it was presented to me at work, uh, much like, like you said, not. Not on, you know, here's a fun viral video or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it was presented to me as part of a work training thing. Right, like legitimate, um, like a mental exercise kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and I did. <laughs> um, which, whatever. But, yeah, no, it, it's it's super, super interesting to see how, yeah, how different people um, react to things. So there's a little bit of that there mentioned here in the, in the book. But really, um, the reason I was talking about that was that seeing how much people tip – if they pay less is I, I believe mm -hmm. an actual study that, that I read about that people do tend to tip more if they don't have to make a payment or if they make right. a significantly reduced. I know I do. Oh my God. Yeah. Like anytime someone's like, Hey, this is on me. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm, you're getting that in tip then. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but I mean, I guess when it's presented, it doesn't sound as, as we like, I felt like Jess thought that was a really weird thing to like study yeah. and it made perfect sense to me. Yeah, I wouldn't even be, would be suspicious of that. Seeing yeah. the spending habits of somebody who receives a service for free, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So uh, basically, like we we've kind of done the setup pretty well, and I think that we have to get into like 
the idea of the book is that the study is not as innocent as it seems. And um, this is where we're probably going to push the boundaries a little bit of, of what is spoiler territory, because like we haven't really talked about the interesting part of the book at all. And that's like what the real, so I'm going to set it up for Livius to take over saying the study is not what it seems. Right. Um, there's an additional integral, integral, God damn, what can I say that? Integral character in this. And his name is Thomas. He is Lydia's husband. Um, Jessica knows that Lydia has a husband that she's married. What she doesn't know is that they're separated because Thomas has cheated on her. And yeah, Jess (laughs) is going to be the bait to see if he will do it again. I didn't want to go this far into the story, but I felt like that's the real meat of it, right? I mean, Rob sent me a mess, a text message, and we'll probably talk about this more in spoiler talk. But um, yeah, the meat of it is. <laughs> I just realized what the message said. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Shields has found an attractive young lady um, that she is going to manipulate uh, as part of a study. You know, air quotes. Um, to flirt with her husband and see if he takes the bait. Um, So, and it's more of a purity test than anything. Basically, uh, maybe I'm spoiling. The idea is she wants to know um, if it's possible that it was a one-time thing, I guess is the way that I'll state it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to state it. And of course, nothing goes according to anybody's plan. And that's, well, but that's where all the action, that's where all the really like discussion worthy stuff happens. And that's what we're probably yeah. not going to talk about. But um, that's, that's where it gets really interesting. Um, so to, to recap, we have a young and uh, I was going to say innocent, but I don't, I mean, innocent can be taken so, so many different ways, but kind of doe eyed. Um, subject who's uh, subject number 52 by the way uh who's just like excited that she's able to to pay her bills and then like i said she has some extraneous expenses and and she feels so much more comfortable with her life because she's getting paid out hundreds of bucks every time she sees this doctor which is making her life a lot easier on the flip side we have a very manipulative eh, maybe evil i don't know (laughs) psychiatrist (laughs) who is Uh. yeah yeah Who's manipulating this this younger woman into doing things um, that are outside the the bounds of of an actual psychological study? So I am no psychiatrist. Uh, I have to hold on. I have to write. I keep a list of the things you're not. You say you're not on this podcast. (laughs) Psychiatrist. Got it. Livius is covering a wall with the things like written down with the things that I claim I am not psychiatrist might have already made it on that wall you might you might have just repeated a word that's true there's so much on here it's yeah hard to... it's hard to keep track but anyway I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist but i would say that like the moment that you present something you're doing as a study that has personal uh um you know you're personally involved in and you're misleading your subjects uh not for the sake of the study but for the sake of not losing them from the study because it's a personal thing. Like I really feel like from the get go, there's no legitimacy to what Dr. Shields is trying to do. 
Yeah, I mean, once we find out, sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's tough. Like, we didn't talk about her a lot as a character. So she is very well put together, very successful. She's the kind of woman that other women envy because of her poise and her even her fashion sense, but, like, her appearance, um, you know, and she's an intimidating person. So she's um, in, in probably the ideal situation to, to manipulate um, Jessica. The thing is, is that, like, I, I wonder about this stuff, right? Like, so, yes, in a perfect world, you know, somebody who they probably take the Hippocratic Oath, right? I would imagine. Psychiatrists, they're it's, doctors. They're right? doctors. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, because you have medical. Sure. Let's just mm-hmm. go ahead and say that that happens. Well, you know what? She would have to, right? Because she can prescribe medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So, um, but like, I don't know, man. Like, how easy is it to, to cross that line? Um, either in, in just disclosing someone's information in a conversation with a, a friend or a loved one um, or using it for more malicious I feel like that's something we're going to explore in depth in, in spoiler talk. Yeah. Um, but talking about Dr. Shields, one thing that I think that was, was very important um, to the character of Dr. Shields, especially towards the beginning of the book is that she's very uh, magnetic. Like she's got kind of a personality that you are drawn to. And uh, it seems like she's kind of larger than life. And so uh, uh, for our protagonist, Jessica Ferris, um, she's drawn to Dr. Shields because she's very successful and all the things that Livia said, but also because she's got this personality that just kind of sucks you in. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of a big part of the character throughout the majority of the book is that like, she's the, <laughs> did you, uh, did you watch the office much? I, I saw the entirety of the office. Yes. So she's got kind of a Robert California thing going on. Where like, you know what I'm saying? Where like they're interviewing him for the first time and they're like even having a hard time speaking because they're so intimidated by him. And then he just like deadpan, like the, like looks at the camera and like, even you as the watcher are like, like the, the viewer are a little bit like, Oh, Robert California is looking at me. She's got that kind of larger than life personality is what I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. at. She certainly does. Um, I think plot wise, (laughs) we're probably going to have to cut it off there. So Mm -hmm. we have, we have a cheating spouse, a manipulative, evil genius psychiatrist, <laughs> and then our our protagonist, Doe-eyed Jessica, who, Doe-eyed um, Jessica. although she sleeps around a little bit, um, really seems to be a little naive in the ways of the world. Yeah, but that's what millennials do, right? I I don't sleep know. around. I don't a even. Sure. I don't. I don't even know what is a millennial. But what age is a millennial? Uh, I think they were born in the early to mid eighties. So it goes that far back. I missed being a millennial by about five years, I think. Oh, all right. Ooh, yeah. It's older than I think when people say millennials. Like I don't think thirty-five. Well, there's a... like there's there's uh, there's a comedian who uh, I can't remember her name. Um, anyway, but she has a, a a comedy like a special on Netflix called Elder Millennial, and I think that there's like the like the eighties millennials and then like the nineties millennials. And there's, there's some serious differences between them, but, uh, gotcha. Anyway, whatever I'm getting down. I don't know. I'm, I got bored listening to myself just saying that. So, <laughs> so, um, we should probably do some spoiler talk and just get the, get the juices flowing again. Further discussion on this book is going to happen in spoiler talk in the event that you're a first time listener, or you don't pay a lot of attention to our other episodes. <laughs> spoiler talk happens over at our Patreon 
um, page, patreon.com slash booked, where every contributor, even at the level of $1 per month, gets to hear spoiler talk um, if and when we do them. So uh, spoiler talk will be where we could talk about anything about this book. They've been as short as eight or 10 minutes, and they've gone as long as 43. I think 43. Is that the right? Am I saying that right? Uh, ooh, it was over 50, but. Oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. I only paid attention to 43. Demon, so, demon theory. No, yeah. Demon theory. Correct. Um, so we're going to go do that now while it's fresh in our minds. There will not be any time uh, taken away from you as we will. Uh, God damn it. I'm doing this terribly tonight. Fuck. <laughs> you won't notice that we're gone, but we're going to take a few minutes to talk about the anonymous girl over at patreon.com slash booked. All right. We're back from our uh, spoiler talk over on Patreon. And um, I just want to say this was one of the more substantial uh, spoiler talks. I think we say that every time, but here's here's the thing. Livius and I discovered how much we disagree about this book over in spoiler talk. And you're going to hear the results of that in our our, our wrap ups. But it's it's interesting to see, like we we were pretty on on pace with each other in the non spoiler part. Spoiler talk really exposed. (laughs) like the deeper meaning. And I think that's the value of spoiler talk is like the gloves comes off and it's just like, whatever we want to say, we can say, and that's where like the true, um, um, like feelings about a book come out. So uh, it's going to sound like such a, like a shilling for money, but like a dollar a month, you're going to get at least a few spoiler talks every month. So you're talking 33 cents to hear us talk about, um, our true feelings about this book anonymous girl. With that, I'm going to ask Rob to kick off the wrap-up. Um, all right. <laughs> I was a little dubious about So I'm always dubious when we have uh, a book that we did not seek out. Um, and uh, like I said in the, in the beginning, Anonymous Girl was something that was uh, St. Martin's Press reached out to us and said, hey, we want you to, to review this. And so we said, absolutely. Uh, we've been doing more of that. Like I mentioned on the end of the year kind of review episode we've been doing a lot more um arc reviews from from the big five presses and everything so this is kind of a continuation of that however when we go into something like that um it's a rare occasion that we know the author is going into it so this was a very big question mark um uh, kind of like the the girl in the win- the woman in the window woman in the window i think the aj finn book that we read last year mm-hmm. we didn't have any kind of uh understanding of the authors or their work or anything. And it definitely felt like a much more mainstream um, uh, book that we don't necessarily approach. And so I had a little bit of a uh, hesitation going into it, but I, I always try to go into the books that we review as, as open-minded as possible and as objective um, as, as possible as well. And there is a lot of stuff that is very interesting about anonymous girl. And there's a lot of the plot that is is very well done. I would say that this is definitely a book that keeps you interested in what's going to happen for the majority of, if not the entire book. Um, that being said, I had a couple of personal objections that I won't go into because they spoil parts of the story. Um, if you want to hear those, you can go over to our Patreon for a dollar a month and you can hear our spoiler talk about the book where we go into a little bit more detail. There were some objections that I had about... Um, some of the fundamental plot points as well as some of the characteristics of individual characters that um, took away a little bit of my enjoyment of the overall book. 
Um, that being said, I think that it's an easy book to enjoy. And um, uh, I think that the, the average reader would get a lot out of this. Um, but I'm not here to give a rating for the average reader. I'm here to give a rating for me. And overall, even though I found it to be a pretty, like a, a, a surprisingly well-written uh, book and um, a, a pretty unique kind of approach to a plot, the, the objections I had took away from that. And so overall, this is going to be three stars. Um, Rob talked a lot about what happened over on uh, a spoiler talk on Patreon, and I'm going to chime in there. Um, contentious, I would say. Not that Rob and I got into arguments or whatever about it, but man, did we see some things differently in this book, and and I'm I'm really surprised. Uh, Rob was surprised. <coughs> I'm surprised. Um, maybe for different reasons. Rob thought I was going to be a little more on his side about this, and and I, I don't know. It's a little weird, but at any rate. Um, Here's what I think. I think that there is a compelling plot um, and some really compelling characters. And a couple of things I didn't mention, I did mention over in Spoiler Talk, which I can do here. I think the dynamic um, between Dr. Shields and Jessica, and more from Jessica's standpoint, is really interesting. Um, she has this person that she's intimidated by, but also kind of craves their approval. And it, it creates, for, for me, it was a very enjoyable dynamic between two characters. I felt like these characters um, rang fairly true, um, Jessica and Thomas, um, and then Dr. Shields. But Dr. Shields, like like a normal person's reaction if they had abilities beyond what the normal person does. And in this case, <laughs> those are her abilities. But those are her abilities to, to understand um, how people will react to things and how to manipulate people, essentially. So, I, again, I'm not sure... Not sure, um, you know, if that's what would happen with like a really talented psychi uh, psychiatrist in, in real life. But, you know, this isn't real life. This is fiction. So our uh, our villain, so to speak, in this book was also fairly compelling for me. Um, yeah, as Rob said, a super readable book. Um, the alternating chapters. It was weird because with the alternating chapters at first, I just wanted to get back to Jessica. While Dr. Shields was still kind of like this uh, anonymous, like omnipotent type voice the first few um i wasn't really that interested in in you know what she had to say and i was like all right let me get through this chapter and get back to jessica but as the book advanced i found myself looking forward more to dr shield's chapters than to jessica's and maybe that's because she's the only one that could really reveal anything for us not that jessica doesn't discover some things on her own but really i think the revelations all come from dr shields um so i, I enjoyed her half of the book more and more as the book um, progressed. Uh, I, I hate to say this. I feel like, hmm, I feel like, God damn it. So you may have to tell me if this is too much. So <laughs> um, I feel like the target audience for this book is women. So it's like Rob said, I have to take what I thought about it, not think about who I think the target audience was, as Rob said, maybe the average reader. I'm going to say target audience, um, and and I think we're kind of talk, maybe talking the same the same people there. Um, 
I, I don't know how, how they're going to do with it. Um, I, I, I felt like I understood some of the issues that people had and some of their motivations for doing things. But then again, this book is really told through the eyes of, of two women whose experiences I cannot begin to understand. So um, with all that said, I still really like this book. I'm going to give it four stars. All right. Um, interesting that you that you say that. And I, I don't know if you did this, Livius, but I did kind of peek into some of the Amazon reviews. Um, I did not. I didn't get a chance to. And overwhelmingly uh, positive so far. I mean, here's the thing. The book releases the day that this episode uh, airs. And so anybody who has already read the book received an advanced copy. That being said... Um, so far of 20 customer reviews, um, the average rating is 4.3 out of five stars, um, all being four, four or five stars, except for, uh, two, two star reviews. Um, and, and I, I didn't read through too deeply into this and I don't think I will, but I, I noticed that in one of them, someone said something like, eh, this isn't exactly my cup of tea, but if you're into domestic thrillers, this is probably a book for you. And I'd never really thought about the term domestic thriller before, but don't you think that really fits this? I do. And it's funny because sometime while we were reviewing this, I was thinking um, this this has a, a similar feel to some other books that we've read. And I don't know what that genre is, right? So yeah. The Woman in the Window, and then what's the what's the one with the, the scientists? The scientists. Uh, Oh, God damn it. We read it last year. It's by a chick. <laughs> it's got the same, like, like the doctor that everybody wants to... The two girls are growing up through high school, and they both are science nerds, and then they're oh, not together for, like, ten the years. Megan Abbott, the Megan Abbott book, Give Me Your Hand. Yes, that one. Like, again, a very similar feel to those books. Domestic thriller is yeah. an interesting term for a genre, and I don't know that all of those fit, but I felt like overall they all had. And I've never read it, but I'm guessing Gone Girl is probably on that list. And then I saw yeah. the movie The Girl on the Train mm-hmm. um, is probably on that list. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, it seems like, yeah, domestic thriller, um, it, and it's it's wildly successful. Um, at least the movies are, and I'm guessing the books are as well. So. Um, but yeah, sure. domestic thriller. Sorry, as an well, interesting genre. And name. then, if and then, if you want to look at like statistics in general, I think that like uh, something like sixty six, seventy, seventy five percent or something of people who read are women or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like the average reader is a woman. So yep. that kind of fits too. But um, yeah, I, I see where you're going. Like the the Gone Girl girl on girl in the window or i'm sorry woman in the window like that type of mm-hmm. that's i would i would categorize that as domestic thriller give me your hand the omega devon book fantastic book um also fits probably into that as well mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. that wraps up uh that wraps up our second book review of the year man yeah and before we move away from this book um we get uh, review copies and this is this is one of those like i mentioned earlier and um inside of those review copies sometimes they give you like an information on like the um the campaign uh the advertising slash marketing campaign they have going for an individual book and i think part of it is just like to show someone like the scope to which they're promoting it but also like it's just some basic information and i don't think that that trickles down to non-reviewers very often so i thought it might be interesting to explore a little bit of what 
uh, a marketing campaign for a, a major uh, big five publisher looks like. What do you think? I would like to know myself. You should know. You actually always read you. those <laughs> inserts, and I, I like, I don't Never, read the synopsis yeah. for this. I didn't read anything except the book. <laughs> so this is what a major marketing campaign from St. Martin's Press sounds like, uh, according to them. 500,000 copy announced market distribution. So Anonymous Girl, I'm assuming either in its initial printing, that would have to be the initial printing then, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 500 and then if sells through the 500,000 then they do a second printing blah 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 so half a million books just to get started that's fucking big uh, 10 city author tour national broadcast publicity national print publicity online publicity national advertising pre-publication advertising I don't know what this means but indie bound white box mailing so I know okay. indie bound is uh, a company that um, it, it's like a service for independent bookstores, so it might have something with getting books into the independent bookstores, maybe, whatever. Mm-hmm. Major pre-order campaign, major evangelist campaign. I'm assuming that means, like, street team kind of approach, right? I would hope it's not, like, priests. Reese, re, <laughs> priests. <laughs> Influencer campaign. Buzz Books Promotion. We'll have to look into that. Buzz Books. Capital B-U-Z-Z-B-O-O-K-S. All one word. Trade advertising. Social media outreach. Tiered ARC distribution. That's advanced reader copy distribution. Tiered ARC distribution. So, like, multiple tiers of distribution. Maybe that's why I got two copies of the same book. Maybe that's what I mean. Early reader review campaign. Extensive NetGalley campaign. For anybody that's listening who doesn't know what NetGalley is... NetGalley is a website that will help uh, publishers distribute uh, electronic advanced reader copies of books to people. <laughs> that will make it really, really difficult for <laughs> you to read an ebook, which should be the simplest thing in the world. That's what NetGalley is. Fuck NetGalley. Yeah. Uh, email marketing and bookstagrammer campaign. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of things. I did some research while you were doing that. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was 500,000 books, you said, right? Half a million? Half a mil. So let me ask you a question. How many yeah. bookstores do you think are in the United States? Uh, um, a thousand? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> um, in 2018, there are 22,500 right, bookstores. Yeah, so I mean, you were in the right. Yeah, you said thousand somewhere in there. Yeah, the word thousand was in there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's roughly twenty per bookstore, and I'm guessing that's going to vary, obviously, right? So a smaller bookstore sure. may get ten Five, copies, yeah. and a Barnes and Noble gets you know forty or something. So uh, I was really surprised by that. I was just trying to think like, how much is five hundred thousand when you really think about physical books, and you have yeah. to imagine that fifty thousand of those go directly to Amazon, right? And right. Just yeah. them to ship out. So. Um, but yeah, it is, it is impressive. The amount of stuff that they do that the other two other thoughts, the other thing is, and I thought about, I'm not going to say who I thought about an author. We know that probably is choking listening to this, like as a promotion, like how books get promoted versus <laughs> like the indie kind of book scene and, or the self-pubbed kind of uh, book scene. And then I also mm-hmm. looked up buzz books, um, buzz books appears to only do. 
what look like romance novels. So I don't know <laughs> if those books is really <clears throat> something for uh, something for us. Well, it occurred to me that because I got one of the hardcover uh, copies in the mail, really it's four hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine books going out to bookstores. That's yeah, not five hundred thousand. Correct. Yeah. So it's already inaccurate. Yeah. All those numbers are skewed. So, um, but yeah, I, that's that's a book. So these guys were uh, top ten New York Times bestsellers um, with their last book. So Which I'm they not... also sent us a copy of that, even though they knew we weren't going to review it. I'm not uh, surprised that that's the type of marketing campaign that gets um, that gets put together for something like this. Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, did I well, happen to say fuck neck alley at all this episode? You at least twice now. <laughs> all right, just making sure. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's uh, Saint Martin Press uh, promoting an anonymous girl. I'm sure that the did we say did it say anything about the movie rights on this one? Is that already sold? I'm guessing. I uh, yeah, there's probably a way to know. I know that they sold the rights to the wife between us or whatever that other book was called. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and it's just for a, a series. And it was Ooh. in May of last year. For this book? Yeah. Wow. E- so E1. I'm guessing that's supposed to be E1, E-O-N-E. E1 acquires an anonymous girl for series development. Oh, all right. Good for them. Good for uh, good for Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Good for them. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Let's see how much let's see if we can find how much they paid for it. Well, 60, no. 70 bucks at least. <laughs> at least. Can we talk about a series? Um, I'm totally changing the subject now. Um, a series that I want to see that I'm, I'm a little nervous about is season three of the MTV Scream TV series. I've seen none of it, so I don't know how much I'll be able to offer in way of... So, seasons one and two are actually fairly good. Um and I don't know enough about MTV doing TV shows to know whether like that's, uh, you know, a, a common thing or whether this is an anomaly. Um, but the big thing about season three of scream on MTV is that it was directed, uh, I, I think co-directed by Dennis Widmere. I remember seeing that. Yep. And, uh, there was some sort of delay or something that caused it to be questioned whether it was actually going to ever air, and uh, as time goes on and his Pet Cemetery movie becomes closer and closer to like being released, I'm like, dude, I really want to see, even if it wasn't Dennis, I would have wanted to see season three of the, of the Scream TV show anyway. But specifically, and especially because it was him, I want to see it. And I'm starting to, to think that that's just not going to happen. If it's been filmed, that's totally a post Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was totally in post production when or or done when this was announced, and it's like what a fucking waste. Like you have to understand like how easy it is if you haven't put a ton of money into it. Like so, you bought the rights, and something goes wrong, and you go ah fuck it. But after you're done, um, it, like, it's why tough. not? Yeah, why not just do it? You already paid for all of it. So well, it's because MTV has so much programming. People are watching. I forget MTV still a channel. Oh, dude, me too. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a, it's to, to go back to what, you know, you earlier, you know, I'm not a TV producer, but fuck, man, MTV's still a, chain, a thing. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. So, uh, Dennis, if you're listening, 
hit slide into the DMs and and give us a hint what's going on with that. Um, while we're on TV, I mentioned that TV show one and one that TV. Sorry, I've got this E1 thing pulled up in front of me. The TV <laughs> show you that I watched on Netflix yeah, yeah. or I'm in the process of watching. It's a it's an interesting show. Um, it is about a stalker um, who meets this girl who's just basically perfect. She's adorable and everything meets her at the bookstore. He works uh, he works at and uh, falls for her. Um, but he might be a little bit crazy. Hmm. So, uh, basically he starts like super stalking her and then working her way into, uh, working his way into her life as a, uh, as her boyfriend. Um, I, I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm very, uh, <laughs> I, I'm surprised at how much I like it. Um, not just because Penn Badgley, I think is his name, who, uh, of course, you know, from Gossip Girl fame, he was Dan on Gossip Girl. Naturally. Yeah, um, he plays the uh, the the main character who is this uh, this uh, kind of nutty but you know really smart stalker. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really uh, I really like. It. I just I pulled up some information on it. You know, I pulled just Googled it. <clears throat> you is a disturbing show about a psychopath in the digital age, and I keep thinking as I watch this, like, is everything he's doing really that bad? Like he likes this girl. He's doing things that are in her best interest. So again, maybe like this book we just reviewed, maybe you and I are coming at it from, uh, from different angles. So. <laughs> this is everybody mark it down. This is the episode where Livius and I take divergent paths that never <laughs> cr- cross again <laughs> in, in a weird, like in a direction, like I would have thought the opposite. Like, I feel like, at the outset of this review before you know before we started reviewing it in my mind i was like i'm gonna take this road livius is gonna be with me livius took the traditional rob road i think on this one which Could was be. being sympathetic with the narrative i don't know mm-hmm. anyway anyway interesting stuff <laughs> um so next week on booked um the long mentioned <laughs> Um, Les Edgerton interview is going to be next week. So we're going to take a week off of reading books, at least for this, uh, at least for this podcast. And let's be, let's be honest. You're not going to read anything next week, right? Not in the least. Yeah. I'm probably not going to either. Um, and then we don't know what we're doing after that. Who knows? Maybe another interview, maybe a book review. We'll see. But, uh, I'm very happy to say that it's the 7th of January and we've recorded our second book review of the year. Oh, I wish I had a key page update, but we're almost to 700 if we're if we're not over 700 pages for the year. Yep. yep. That's 100 that pages fun. per day. <laughs> yeah. For you, it probably was 100 per day. Um, I started Les Edgerton's book in like 2016. <laughs> when you shook his hand in that fucking brewery in Indiana. Yeah, in that's when I Indiana. started. That's when I started learning the, the story. So next week we'll have Les Edgerton on to explain himself. Or just answer questions about writing a memoir. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, no. That's going to absolutely wrap it up for our review of Anonymous Girl. Until next week, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>